Many British pilots, including myself, are unfamiliar with alpine flying, and there are many myths and worries about flying in really big mountains. I've always looked at photos of pilots high above massive rock faces and been in awe of the beauty of the terrain and the impressive scale of the Alps. Although I've flown in the Pyrenees in winter, I've only flown in the Alps once. I recently went to Annecy for the first time, but I stuck to the immediate vicinity because I was unsure about meteorology, valley winds and routes where I might end up in a difficult situation. Tom Payne has lived and flown in the Alps since 2003 and has been learning about the area and how to fly in alpine conditions ever since. He flew his first 100km XC in 2006 and has been racking up the kilometres ever since. Although I live in the pre-Pyrenees in winter, alpine conditions are something I'm not familiar with, so Tom managed to dispel some of the myths and preconceived ideas I had. Tom's a great advocate for the area. He clearly loves the Alps. Here he explains why they are so special. Alpine flying's great. There's just um, there's loads of aspects to it. We get uh, a lovely uh, gentle evening soaring. We get good strong thermals in the spring. We get um, very stable conditions in the autumn where you can walk up mountains or walk up snowy peaks and fly from the top of them. So there's really a whole range in there. But it's very different from UK flatland flying. You moved to the Alps specifically because you really liked it there because you went there on a holiday and just fell in love with the place, didn't you? And Absolutely. What is it about the Alps that really that drew you there and that keeps you there? It's the whole infrastructure for flying is so good. It's it's a very normal paragliding in the Alps is is a normal sport. It's not like the UK where it's a few crazy people seem to do it and spend three all their weekends sitting on rainy, windy hills. Here it's crazy. I've, I, you know, people do it at school. They they have friends and family who do it. And they start learning from an early age. We have well-maintained takeoffs and landing fields with bars in them. It's just the whole infrastructure is there. The paragliding is very much part of, of the life here. And that makes it a really good place to be a paraglider pilot because Everything is there for you. You're not arguing about access to sites because they're, they're a mountain terrain that no one really cares about anyway. And the local club has done a great job of making open sites for you, further which are open to everybody in the world. Yeah, it's, everything just works, basically. It's just a whole lot less hassle than the UK. Part of that comes from the fact they've got 25,000 or so pilots in France. And this means there's basically a lot of money in the sport compared to the, the UK. This means the clubs have enough members to be able to afford to put uh, carpets on the on the takeoffs and wind stations up. It means that the national organisation has actually got a relatively large amount of money uh, compared to the UK to, to buy landing fields and so on. It's part of tourism here as well. A lot of, uh, you'll find a lot of paragliding instructors in France are paragliding instructors in the summer and ski instructors in the winter. And paragliding as a tourist activity brings in millions and millions of euros. A recent study of the Annecy area attributed, I think, if I remember correctly, about 4 million euros a year coming into the region thanks to paragliding. And this means that the local communities here support paragliding because it brings money brings money in. It's not you're fighting with the local farmer to get a little patch of grass to take off on and avoid scaring the sheep. You know, here it's the community will set aside land uh, for there to be a landing field so they can get the benefit of uh, visiting pilots from all over the world. So one of my main questions about alpine flying was about the weather. 
I've heard lots of things about it, how changeable it is, how dangerous it can be if you're up a mountain and it suddenly changes. So I wanted to hear Tom's views on the weather forecast that you should be looking for and what he considers to be a good alpine forecast. July and especially August can be quite stormy mm-hmm. at times, particularly afternoons. And the last few years we've had really wet Augusts. This year seems to be working out a bit differently. We've had a more traditional winter and a more traditional spring. But generally, July, August is not always a great time to go, particularly if you're focused on cross-country flying. So when you say a traditional winter, what does that mean in the Alps? Uh, lots of snow, basically. Or rather, it seems like an amazing amount of snow. But really, if you look at statistics, it was just an average amount of snow. It's just the last few years we've had very little snow in the winters. There's been relatively little XC done during the winter. Usually expect to see the first shore XC flights in, in February. By March, people are managing 50, 60, sometimes a bit longer. And, uh, and by April, it's, it's full on with lots of 100, 150k flights. Uh, but this was a late start. We had a lot of snow. We had a lot, quite a lot of wind over the winter. Mm. So it only really started in, in mid-March. For a first time flying XC, June's good and end of August, early September can be very good as sound. Though this time they, they don't get the full on spring conditions, but there's still, still good thermals around. It's possible to do uh, good flights. And days are long, you get nice, nice evening restitution. It's, good, it's basically a really good time to do your first alpine holiday. Once you're a more experienced pilot and you're happy in flying your glider in rough air, then really the best, very best months for cross country flying are April and particularly May. Uh, the, the air mass is nice and stable. It's the air is cold, so it's not particular. It doesn't hold much moisture, so cloud base gets high. Good contrast between the cold air and and strong sunshine generates powerful thermals. Uh, so that's the best time to go for you if you really want to search for the XC distances. I've always had this idea that the weather is very changeable in the Alps. You know, they always say, you know, if you're climbing up a mountain, you have to be careful because it can change very quickly. But I know that that's not your view. You think that actually the weather is quite predictable. Yeah, I, th- I think the forecasts have, have got very good now. Certainly, they do get it wrong occasionally, but when they get it wrong, it's normally the three days ahead forecast. So this, what this means is that if you're in the Alps on holiday, you can look at the weather in the morning and you can be pretty sure that uh, what they say it's going to do during the day is what you're going to experience. Uh, you don't, you don't, you're not going to have uh, fronts or rainstorms sneaking up on you un- uh, unexpectedly. I, you can trust the forecast, basically. So there's no reason for us to be worried about it. The general wind direction gives you a good idea of what sort of day you can expect as well. The best directions for us are northerly winds from northwest around to northeast, where you've, you've generally got sort of dry continental air masses coming in. East is, is fairly rare, but can provide good flying conditions. Southerly, you can get fern winds, and particularly when fronts approach the Alps. This is very typical fern conditions. As the front sweeps across France, you get southerly winds coming up from the uh, the Mediterranean, running along the length of the front from south to north. These humid southerly winds sort of cause the fern effect. Southwest is also quite typical. However, the base, as it's also a fairly moist air mass coming in from, once again, the Mediterranean from, from the Atlantic, we generally expect uh, fairly low bases, but still reasonably good flying conditions on mm. that. And westerlies is sort of halfway between southwest and northwest, so good flying conditions, uh, but not quite as good as um, the northern sector. You said the fern effect, and a lot of people, I think, are quite unsure about what fern actually is, because they think it's the same as wave, but it isn't. Can you explain to me a bit more about what the fern is? Yeah, correct. It's it's a very different effect to wave. Fern, it's 
Firstly, it's very predictable. If the forecast says you get a fern, then you will. And if the forecast doesn't say you're, going to, say you're not going to get a fern, then you won't. Basically, what happens is the moisture in the air contains energy. And the way the, the air flows over the mountains means that this energy is released from the moisture in the air and imparted to the air. So it then speeds up and heats up and generates strong winds. What roughly happens is that the, you get a southerly airflow at this rise forced up as it moves over the mountains. As it rises, it cools and condenses, forming cloud and precipitation. This releases latent heat of condensation, and this this heat, this heat energy, is then imparted on into the air as it then flows down the northerly slopes. It, it heats up, it expands, and accelerates down the northerly slopes. Mm-hmm. It hits the next range of mountains and does the same thing again, losing more moisture, gaining more speed, and the next range of mountains it does the same and so on and so on. So this means what can be a light southerly on the southern side in northern Italy, for example, by the time it hits the southern plains of Germany, can be extremely strong, uh, 100 um, 100 plus kilometre an hour winds, and uh, typically very gusty as well. Uh, It's a critical effect. It doesn't make for good flying conditions. It's a very good idea to stay on the ground. A good tip on fern days is the fern is stronger the further east you go, the further you go towards Switzerland, Germany, Austria. So if it's only a light fern effect, you can often fly on the on the west side of the Alps, particularly the Annecy area, or even fur, a little bit further west than that, um, sites like Semnoz and Agbelet. The, these can be very flyable if there's only a light fern effect. When they forecast it, do they forecast it like several days in advance? Typically, yeah. yeah. As I say, it's, it's, it's the, the classic uh, trigger of the fern is an approaching front and the southerly winds running along the front. So the, the fronts are reasonably predictable because you see them sweeping in from the Atlantic. So they, they know that when they're roughly when they're going to hit. Do you get a lot of wave? We, we get wave, but it's generally quite rare. And certainly if it's windy enough for, it to, for wave effects to occur, we tend to be on the ground on our paragliders anyway. That said, on, on a few occasions I have experienced wave, either well, light wave in Annecy, where it's very obvious people would, would take off and everyone would sink out, and a new bunch of people would take off and then suddenly they'd all go up and then sink down again. And this was very obvious wave cycling through. I've, I've experienced a stronger wave in the central Alps, and unfortunately when there weren't wave clouds around, so I couldn't really see it. And uh, there I hit the wave rotor, and that was very uh, very exciting. For your first trip out, it's a really good idea to catch up with a local guide. There's guides throughout the Alps. Do a little bit of research ahead of time, uh, perhaps ask on the forums when's a good time to go. Uh, the guides do have a tendency to over-exaggerate the, a little the uh, the reliability of the flying in their in their areas. As a, as a rough guide, I'd say in the winter it's relatively rare. It's probably flyable one day in five or six, and these days tend to come one after the other because you get a high pressure comes in, you get light winds and blue skies for uh, for a week at a time. In the spring, uh, when the XC conditions are best, it's probably one day and two in the, in the French Alps that you can expect to fly. In the summer, it perhaps goes up to uh, two and three if you're if you're lucky with the summer, but still will be storms and occasional strong winds and so on. You won't be able to flying every day. In the autumn, it's one in three, one in four. Once again, you need this, the high pressure in control, uh, which when it does come, comes for a few days, but it's relatively rare. So, what's a good alpine day? The most important thing for a Spotting a good alpine day is instability in the air mass, i.e. that there are th- good thermals 
uh, starting low down and going all the way up to cloud base. This you generally get from looking at the sounding. So uh, ahead of time, I'll be I'll be looking at the weather forecast, looking at the predicted soundings, to try and get an idea of how good the, the day is. Second most important thing is the wind, and uh, the wind at altitude is a very good, quick way of checking how good the day is likely to be. Uh, if the winds are light at altitude, 0, 5, 10 kilometers an hour, and by altitude I mean about 3,000 meters or so, then it's it's a magic go-anywhere day. Most of this wind will go over the mountains. You'll actually experience very little when you're high up. Once the wind gets to 15, 20 kilometers an hour, then you, you can still fly cross-country, but you need to be a little bit careful. You might need to carefully use the valley winds for certain sections of your route that you plan. You need to be careful where this these winds accelerate to the valley winds, for example. Finally, once the wind's at 25, 30 kilometres an hour, you can fly into protected sites. But once you leave that protected site, then it can get a bit scary. So you just choose the kind of stress level that you're happy with. and then Exactly. Yeah, sometimes, we've, um, yeah, it's, it's, sometimes it's literally, your, for, for example, a classic site, Annecy's actually well protected from southerly winds. And you can fly very nicely locally in Annecy, even when the, uh, the southerly wind is blowing at 25 or 30 kilometres an hour. But if you, you poke your head, you take the, the thermal too high or fly out of the protected zone, you suddenly find yourself in, in these strong winds and uh, you notice your ground speed drops to zero and you very quickly make the decision to fly back into the protected area. A couple of other good things to look out for are just um, general things that might cut short or uh, uh, change your flying day a bit. Things like high cloud coming in. Often there's, if there's an approaching front, that can be good cross-country conditions before the front approaches but as the high cloud the leading edge of the front approaches it it cuts off the sun so it might limit your day it's not it's not dangerous at all it's just a bit annoying if there's a forecast of storms well firstly a, a slight tendency of storms is a good sign that's good instability but if there if they are saying there will be storms then you can expect these to be forming at three or four o'clock in the afternoon and, and then you're going to have a very short day. Then you want to be on the ground well before the storms uh, start forming. And presumably they grow pretty quick. Yeah, yes. A classic sign to look for is tall cumulus in the morning or cumulus forming, forming early in the morning. If cumulus is forming at 9 or 10 o'clock in the morning, then there's a good chance it'll develop during the day. Similarly, if you see tall catalanus clouds, basically vertical cylinders, it's a sign that there's uh, a lot of instability in the atmosphere, that there's no high-level inversion to stop the vertical development of the clouds. And often by midday, the clouds will already be tall, well-formed, starting to look dark. And uh, by the early afternoon, uh, they're, they're turning into storms. So you, ha you have plenty of warning there. Another thing to look for with um, overdevelopment, actually, even if it doesn't go bang, is once you start getting tall clouds, they, they uh, cast very large shadows. And you can, they can often put entire massifs into shadow which means no thermals there and uh, you might have to change your cross-country plans accordingly. It's also one of the reasons that April, May tend to be the best time. The air mass is generally colder. The colder air can hold less moisture and so there's simply less moisture available to form these large clouds. Uh, and, and so we get the small like puffy clouds rather than the overdevelopment and tall clouds that we often see in the summer, July and August. The other thing that a lot of people are quite concerned about when they fly in alpine areas is valley winds. You're, you're right. It's absolutely critical to understand what valley winds are and what their particular patterns are in the area you're flying in. So whenever I go to a new area, the first question I, I ask, I find a, a local pilot, so I ask them, where did the valley winds blow here? Normally, in 90% of cases, they blow against the water flow. 
so you can predict yourself. But it's always a good idea to check with the local pilots. When you say against the water flow, do you mean of a river? Yes, exactly. So if a river's flowing down through a valley, then you expect the valley wind to be blowing in the opposite direction to the to the river is flowing. Valley winds are, are caused by the high, high mountains or by thermals rising up over the high mountains and drawing in air from the surrounding plains. And the, the easiest way for the air to flow in is up the valleys. It, it, you know, this, these are the gaps in the mountains, if you like. So as water tends to flow out of the mountains and air tends to flow into the mountains. Normally predict that the valley wind would go uh, opposite the flow of water. But is there any other indications that you would be able to use? That's the main one. That's, that's a really good rule. Um, to follow. Of course, if you see any real signs of winds, for example, flags or smoke or lakes where you can see where the ripples are and where the calm bits are, of course, go by those. But the rule, the water rule is a really, really good one. It works almost always. The only case where it doesn't really work is if you have a very large valley nearby and this, if this is a very, if there's a very strong flow in that, that larger valley, it can change the flow in the surrounding valleys. But this is relatively rare. A good thing to watch out for is the meteor wind it normally doesn't affect us too much, but if it's strong, it can increase the, the strength of the valley wind if it, the valley wind goes in the same direction as the meteor wind. This is often the case in Annecy in a northerly, for example, where the, the valley winds blow from Annecy town along the lake and south to Dusard. If there's a northerly wind as well, the two add to, together and it can get very windy, especially the Dusard landing field. Otherwise, if there's strong meteor winds around, sometimes the valley wind system's don't set up at all or they set up in the opposite direction but this is only really in strong wind conditions if the winds are light or, or normal should say uh, the valley wind valley flows are much more predictable during my training many years ago i learned about anabatic and catabatic winds and i asked tom how important these were in the alps a lot of our um, our flying is most directly influenced by them uh, the classic catabatic one for us if, if you're flying in a ski resort in winter there's often a constant catabatic flow next to the snow all day long, even at the height of the day. And this is why one of the reasons that people launch on skis is it's the only way to actually move fast enough to get enough airspeed to actually take off. If you try running downhill, you've got a five or ten kilometer an hour tailwind, you just, you'll just never take off. You can get larger catabatic flows down glaciers, but generally, boy, glaciers, they're big things. You can see them from a long way away, so you can still stay well away from them. The anabatic flows are the daily slope breeze, and that's typically what we're taking off in. That's that nice gentle breeze that comes up the front of launch, perfect 5-10 kilometres an hour, that allows you to get off easily. And if you're flying along a ridge, you can stay in that slope breeze and use that rising air uh, instead of having to take, take thermals. So, yeah, we're flying in catabatic and anabatic flows all the time. Amongst British pilots, the Alps have got a reputation for roughness and turbulence. Mm-hmm. Would you say that in your experience it's more turbulent than other places or is it just a matter of choosing the time when you launch or the conditions that you're prepared to fly in? If you're flying in, in the spring... It's going to be rough wherever you are, really. In the mountains, strong thermals around. So yes, it is likely to be a little stronger than you're, what you expect, and or more turbulent than what you you would get in the uh, in the flatlands. However, if the thermals are well organised, which is you know, typical on light wind days, then although there can be turbulence around the thermal edges, the thermals themselves can be nice and smooth. The roughest days tend to occur when it's uh, when there's an inversion around that causes the thermals to break up or prevents large thermals from from forming, or if there's wind around which breaks up the thermals. So yeah, it can be rough. It's kind of predictably rough. You can go into this with your eyes open. 
I asked Tom if there was any differences in equipment that Alpine pilots use as opposed to other pilots, for example, in the UK. Good idea to be relatively heavy on your glider. Uh, if you're light, then you tend to get buffed around by the thermals. You don't have enough speed to make progress against valley winds. So once you're flying in, in the mountains, it's a good idea to either be at the top of the rate range or take some extra ballast. I don't turn up on your you know, coastal floaty tandem that you fly solo. Mountain pilots tend to be on smaller, higher loaded wings to make sure they're always in the top half or top third of the weight range. Since you know, you're flying during the strong thermals around, there's valley winds that you want to make progress against. Actually having good speed and good control over your glider is, is very important. In the flatlands, you can get away with sort of floating up to cloud base on a nice uh, uh, floaty wing and drifting downwind, but that that same technique doesn't really work in the mountains. You'll just get, you won't have enough control or authority to um, to enjoy yourself. If you're not in the top half of the weight range on your glider, it's a good idea to take a little bit of extra ballast, water or, or lead or whatever. My most burning questions for Tom were about cross-country flying in the Alps. I've looked at so many pictures over the years of the terrain of the Alps and people flying over it that I'm just in awe of people who know enough about alpine flying to be able to do that. And I wanted to ask Tom about his experiences and his advice for anybody who would like to fly cross-country in the Alps. When you've identified a good day and you're going cross-country, what, what are the differences that you would say about flying an alpine cross-country as opposed to a flatland cross-country? I'm not experienced in flatland cross-countries, but I think in for flying in the mountains, really the key, absolute key aspect if you want to fly a good distance is to plan your flight uh, ahead of time. Mm. In the flatlands, generally you can go whatever direction you want, there are no obstructions, there are no valley winds, you might need to plan ahead to avoid airspace, but generally you'll pootle off downwind and you'll see how far you can get. Flying in the Alps or flying in the mountains, if you just take off and start flying, you'll probably find out you'll end up in a dead end somewhere, you'll get uh, cornered by the valley winds, you'll find yourself on a west-facing slope in the morning or an east-facing slope in the afternoon and you'll run out of lift. There's mm. absolutely critical to plan ahead, think how fast you fly on average, look at the terrain, work out what's a reasonable cross-country for you on that day, and then set out to fly that. Having seen more of the terrain of the Alps um, when I was there in April, it seemed to me that it would make more sense to fly along the massifs and, and the ridges rather than trying to hop from one to the other, not do a downwind, but do a kind of you know a sideways cross-country, if that makes any yeah. sense. Oh, you're, you're totally right. I mean, this is absolutely the key to doing big, big cross-country flights in the mountains. These long ridges, there can be some dynamic lift around. Often there's a more thermodynamic breeze blowing along them that provides lift all the way along. So you can then fly straight along these ridges. There's no need to turn until you get to the end of the ridge where you can take a thermal to get you enough height to cross onto the next one. If you look at the the big flights that get done in the mountains, you look at the cross countries of 200 kilometres out and return or the FI triangles of 200 kilometres, you'll find large sections of them are flying along ridges, just as you describe. So that would form part of your preparation, that you look at which route along which massive you're going to take. Exactly. As a rough guide, early in the, in the season, there's lots of snow in the high mountains, so the, the thermals tend to be best in the uh, so-called the pre-Alps, the areas around Grenoble, Chambry, Annecy. There we've got a lot of north-south running ridges, so early in the season, 
out and returns on these ridges are are good flights to do. They're relatively an easy way to accumulate the kilometres. As the snow disappears from the high mountains, they we start to get better thermals there. And a big cross-country flight in the at the end of May, early June might start somewhere in the mountains, sort of close to the the highest summits. Then in the morning, while the flight while, while the valley breezes are light, fly out of the mountains towards the pre-Alps. Then the strongest part of the day, fly along one of these long ridges. And then at the end of the day, fly back to your starting point. But this time, the valley breezes will have set up and they'll help you return to where you took off from. When I was in Annecy, I'd read that there was 80 or something launches in that area. Yeah. And um, we were just completely, where do we go? If you're looking for a good light wind day, how do you pick the site? There are, you're right, there's a lot of sites in the Alps and lots of official ones. Many mountains have got nice grassy slopes of just the right angle. There's just a huge amount of choice. What I generally look for is if it's a, should we put it, a normal flying day, all the major launches will work. And it's just a question of choosing what, what flight you want to do on that day. You choose the right starting place for your, your flight on that day. Sometimes you need to be a little bit careful, particularly in the spring, for example, the higher launches uh, might be still under snow. But the, uh, between the end of the ski season and the start of the summer tourist season, the lifts might be closed. So it might not be possible to get up to some of the higher launches. If there are strong winds around, then you want to stay low uh, to stay out of those strong winds. In contrast to that, in the summer, when often it can be very stable in the valleys, you'll, you'll look for a high launch that works at the time of day you want to take off. To give you an example, uh, a good good place to start cross countries in the summer is from Chamonix, from the Plan Praz takeoff above the Chamonix town, which is a lift up to 2,000 metres, and you're on south-facing slope, so it's a high launch that works well in the morning. Uh, if you want a high launch that works late in the afternoon, you go to somewhere like Alavard near and near Chambury, which is also at 2,000 metres, but is west-facing. It takes the valley breeze that comes into the massifs there. It hits Alivar directly, and that provides excellent evening soaring along the Beldon range. Just like everywhere, then, you need to know where to go. <laughs> well, <So>. yeah. <laughs> it's kind of, it really confused It really confused me when I first arrived in the Alps, that I, I'd, I'd come out with a British mentality of you look at the wind direction, and then you choose a site based on the wind direction. I got very confused. My local club I joined in Chambury only had two sites, both of which faced northwest, really. So I couldn't work out why they seem, still seem to go to these sites on the, no matter what the wind direction was. Of course, now I know it's the, the valley breezes that are set up very regularly day after day. So what, what's important is the orientation of the site relative to the valley breeze. And in fact, you can fly the same site often day after day. It's interesting because in Spain, where we fly, the majority of the sites are south-facing. We sort of often say, well, why don't you find a westerly site? And they kind of go, well, why would we want to do that? Exactly. Yeah, you fly in the it's, thermal breeze. If it's westerly, it's come all the way from the Atlantic, so therefore it's cold air and it's not much fun and it's usually windy and it brings bad weather, so why bother? So it's just kind of, if it's south-facing, the sun will hit it, it'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> so... But it's interesting that in the pre-Pyrenees, we're not so affected by valley winds. It's not such a consideration. I think probably in the high Pyrenees, it would be, you know, the, the valley winds would be more of an issue and the sites are probably oriented differently. I mean, in a way, it's, it's simply the sun is more powerful than the wind in the mountains. You once said to me that thermals are more predictable in the Alps than they are in other places. Is that because of the terrain or because you're flying in lighter wind, you know, you're trying to fly in light wind so the thermals aren't being blown along so much. What's your theory on that? 
It's a combination of the two, I think. The valley winds give a predictable pattern each day, so with the same winds you'll tend to get thermals forming in the same places each day, and the lighter winds means that these are relatively well organised. So classic thermal triggers in the Alps are where a valley wind hits a uh, hits a ridge. Classic examples here are the north end of the Rock de Berf in Annecy, for example, and there you're guaranteed to find a thermal every time. In fact, one of the things you should do when you ask your, well, the second follow-up question you should ask the locals after finding out uh, in what direction the valley winds flow where you're flying is to ask where these valley winds hit directly against ridges and there you can find guaranteed lift. Presumably, otherwise, the thermal triggers are just the same as anywhere else. If you turned the landscape upside down and honey dripped out of it, that's where it would be. Exactly. Exactly. Things tend to be on a bigger scale in the mountains compared to the flatlands. And flatlands, are a small rise or something that's like a village can trigger a thermal. Whereas in the mountains, villages and small rises are insignificant in the scale of things. So it tends to be the mountain ridges, the mountains themselves uh, that, that really work. You can find thermals in, in the flatlands or in the big alpine valleys, but they're relatively rare because you've got the valley winds blowing there that A, prevent the thermals forming, and B, means that if hot air does accumulate there, the air gets heated there, it actually tends to get blown along the valley until it hits something like a ridge where it then triggers and releases. So it's just the big scale terrain that really generates the thermal, acts as the best triggers in the mountains. Other alpine pilots that I've spoken to said that they prefer flying in alpine conditions because once you've learned how they work, it's like a code that you can crack. Whereas mm. they say that if you fly in the flatlands, it's all really unpredictable and you don't have it mapped out in front of you. Like where the thermals yes. are going to be is more yes. unpredictable than it is in, in alpine conditions. And therefore they find it more predictable and more reassuring. Yes, it's... Um I don't know if it's just staying staying in our comfort zones. Once we get comfortable in the mountains, that's where we like to be. I suppose the difference is, uh, to me, it seems that in the mountains, you're totally right. Where you're going to get your next bit of lift is very predictable. So you can fly there with certainty. You can fly fast and get there, and you can be sure. The flatland pilots, I get the impression that even the best ones are really playing a game of probabilities, that they identify places which are likely to work, but they can never be sure, and therefore they cover several potential sources. And that, that means you're, you're flying more hesitantly because you, you can't be sure where your next, next bit of lift is. And so you don't get the speed and the flow of an alpine flight. That speed and that flow, how much is your preparation in advance influenced by that? If you want to fly big at sea, you've got to fly fast. And to fly fast, you've got to know where you're going next. And this means that, to give an example of what I'm doing, is I've already got an idea of the route in mind. Uh, when I go on a glide, I'm looking at, I know where my next bit of lift is going to be, so I know where I'm going to find it. I also know what I'm going to do when I get to the top of that thermal and what direction I'm going to fly then. So I'm always thinking 10 minutes, sometimes 10 kilometres, even 20 kilometres ahead. And this means that you can act with sort of total expectation of success. You can just, you can go for it, basically. And so, so you don't waste time searching for thermals. You don't waste time wondering where you're going to go next. You're just focused uh, on completing the flight that you've set yourself. It's really interesting for me because, I mean, obviously far more experienced cross-country pilots in Britain will know the terrain around their local area enough to be able mm-hmm. to kind of plan their route like that as well. So the thought of being able to have planned the night before what you're going to do at the top of that climb 10 kilometres before it's just amazing. Oh, <laughs> so. it's, okay. 
No, it's warm. I mean, um, let's say the weather's looking good for Thursday. Mm. Um, so some friends, uh, John Chambers, Quentin King and myself are flan- planning a big triangle flight from, uh, from Chamonix. Um, we'll take the Montcromonté lift up to 3,400 meters in the morning. It's west facing takeoff, but it's high enough that we can glide onto the east facing slopes on the other side. And I, I could sit down and tell you now, Every single therm along along the way, and every single plan, what altitude we need to do certain transitions, what um, where we're going to find lift, where we where we need to stop to, to climb, where we can keep going. All it, it's literally all the dots are there. You, with, an, with an alpine flight, you can plan all the dots, and then on the day, you just have to join them up. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> well, see if it works. <laughs> so it's a completely different way of looking at cross country flying. Yeah, it's fascinating. It's great. If you enjoy our podcasts, webcasts and articles on the Paraglider, please consider making a donation to support us with our costs for hosting and also to support us in making great new resources. We've got lots of ideas for new podcasts, webcasts and articles and we'd be happy to produce them, but we need your support. You can find the donate button on any of the podcast pages on theparaglider.com as well as on the main index page. Thank you.